So reflecting on the way it is at this moment, here and now it's like this. Just this reminder, the way it is. So when I do this, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, st stop thinking about things or planning or controlling, just observing. It's like this. And it's, it's, it's not a judgment. It's not trying to find out whether it's good, bad, right, wrong, pleasant, or painful. It's just a way of using the thoughts we have in a skillful way, just to pay attention to the present, to the moment. Because otherwise we use the thought process for judging, criticizing, wanting, planning, not wanting. And this is learning how to to not use the thought process just as some kind of critical faculty, but also as a skillful means to remind, to remember Dhamma, <coughs> Buddha Dhamma Sangha, which are mere words also, but, it, but they're to, not to be graphs, but references to the here and now. Buddha is a mindfulness, awakened consciousness, Dhamma is the truth of the way it is. Sangha is uh, practicing, putting into practice the individual human being, practicing supatipano, ujupatipano, emphasizing that just to, to, for you to reflect on how you use the thinking process. Because we're, we're educated we can read and write. <clears throat> we use our, we're from a cultural background that, that has a lot of ideas, views, opinions, ideals, standards, principles, and on and on like that. So we have, we have this, this hierarchy of thought from the best to the worst, heaven to hell, and um, the thought process is is like this. It has it's dualistic. It functions in that way. That's why you can't be liberated through thinking. And so you, rather than trying to think about Buddhism, analyze Buddhism, think about yourself, try to figure everything out uh, with uh, your thought process. What we're what the Buddha encouraged us to do is, is to stop thinking, not to, to attach to thought anymore, but to be the puru, the puto, the knower of thought is like this. Now thoughts set off emotions, don't they? So, you know, thinking of uh, something that, that is, uh, sets, you know, that gives me a happy feeling, a happy sense of security, feeling of um, being at ease, safe, happy. I have to have the conditions that, that create that, that illusion. And then there's all the other, the fear, the threat, the unknown factors, the unfairness, the injustices, the potential pain, misery, failure, and so forth that, that we conceive of through thinking. The personality 
Sakya Diti is all based on thought. So when you create yourself as a person, it's always in such judge in some judgmental way, isn't it? It's a you're always identified with some condition. And that identity always puts you in opposition to something else. And so, just by examining, by exploring, investigating, thinking, I'm not trying to get rid of thought, but free myself from the enslavement to my thinking habits. Because thinking becomes habitual. We get just lost in our own thoughts. Somebody says something that you don't like and, and one gets carried away emotionally with anger, resentment. So in uh, taking refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha is, is uh, very immediate. It's not just a ceremonial recitation. It's using Puto, Buddha, Bhutang Sarnangajami. It's this, it's mindfulness. This is it. It's conscious knowing. It's not judging. It's not, it's not ideal about how things should be or what's wrong with the way it is. It's just pure awareness that we're experiencing from this position. Because uh, existentially, we're, we, each one of us experiences consciousness from the position we're in, this, this body sitting here on this Tamat. Consciousness, awakened consciousness, before you create yourself as somebody, you know the difference when there's nobody and when there's somebody. When you become a person and when there's no person, when there's atta and anatta. Can you discern uh, the difference? So on this retreat, try to really familiarize, become expert at discerning the difference when there's no person and when there when you become somebody but uh, the, we're culturally conditioned to always create ourselves we have to assert ourselves as a person and uh, this is a society based on rights and uh, you know it's very the present age is one based on asserting your rights getting what you want uh, and asserting yourself as an individual, as a personality, as somebody. So that's, that's part of the cultural conditioning that we have to deal with. But notice that to become somebody, you have to, you have to attach to the idea that you are this person. You are this, this personality, this body, these memories, these emotions. And then that, that once you buy into that program, then you actually become a personality. You become uh, what, you, what you're thinking, what you're feeling. And so this is like the becoming process. So it's birth. It's, it's bawa, born again into being this person. So... I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this. It's not judgment. It's just pointing to how the conditioned realm is, what it is. The pace and Karani, all conditions are impermanent. So we're, we're observing conditioned phenomena, being the knower of it. So it's non-critical. It's not, it's not criticizing. 
conditioned phenomena or sankharas, it's just observing, discerning them. So in the when say my personality, it depends on me identifying with with me with this body. I say I'm seventy four this year. This is a conventional thought, you know. It's true, you know, in terms of the convention. But it depends on thinking. I am this body that will be seventy four complete. If I don't think that, then there, there's no, there's no, you know, there's no sense of being anything, being a 74-year-old person. So it's discerning the difference between creating myself as a 74-year-old person and not creating myself, to discern the difference. So I, on the convention, on the, in July, on my birthday, I can operate in the conventional way saying, and say, happy birthday, Ajahn Sumato, 74 years old, and I can operate within the convention. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to deny it, but put it in perspective so that I'm not, no longer limited and bound to the conventional world, to the world itself. So the refuge is in Dhamma, not in the world, not in me being 74-year-old, body and this person, but in Dhamma, in reality, in the truth of the way it is. Now the, the conditioned realm is all about qualities, quantities, values, principles, conditions, good, bad, right, wrong, true and false, beautiful and ugly, heaven and hell, pleasure and pain, success and failure. This is this is how the world, this is the world that, that we create. We're identified with these extremities, with these divisions. If you have heaven, then there's going to be hell. If there's good, there, there, bad goes along with it. Right and wrong, they're devoted to each other. Good and bad. <clears throat> True and false. What should be and shouldn't be fair and unfair, moral and immoral. We've got principles, standards, virtues, aspirations, all these are words that convey, <coughs> that divide the, the consciousness, the conscious experience. So aspiring, attaching to inspiration or aspiration, from ignorance, from not understanding Dharma, then we, we're always trying to become something. Trying to become better person, an enlightened person. And so we can discern this, the suffering, uh, you know, just observing, from my own experience, observing the suffering of being a monk, wanting to be better than what I observe. Because uh, the ideal monk, the ideal Buddhist monk, is not the experience of daily life. You know, I have to deal with the physical body, with emotions, with uh, memories, feelings, fears, love, hate, 
delusions. Ideal monks, ideal Buddhist monks, Buddhist nuns don't have don't have these problems. They're equanimous, like Buddha Rupas. But the the Supatipano Ujupatipano, the Sangha, then is isn't isn't Buddhist monks and nuns who are just perfect Id- idols of of beauty and perfection, equanimity. But they are individual human beings aware of discerning the difference between the conditioned and the unconditioned. Now, this discerning, this word, is uh, it's not saying, I, I like the unconditioned better than the conditioned, and it becomes personal and judgmental, isn't it? Even these words we have to let go of, the unconditioned and the conditioned. They're just reference points. So the condition, we start out with the conditioned because that's the most obvious for us. That's what we, we attach to. That's what we, we live with. We live with our emotions, our memories, our bodies, <coughs> our identities, our loves and hates. So that uh, this is, you know, these these are what, why we suffer because we're so bound into these conditions, so blinded and so identified with them that it, we can't see through them. We can't. There's no way of seeing seeing them because we are those conditions. This grasping, this ubadana. Ignorance and ubandana mean that we're actually bound, enslaved to conditioning. You see, so as long as as we we have that, we can improve the condition. Sometimes, sometimes, life does have its improvements, where the conditions aren't so rough and so dire as they are at other times. But we're still bound into that realm of conditioning until we begin to examine it, investigate it. And so when we make statements like Sape Sankarani Cha, all conditions are impermanent, this is a this is a pointing, you know, a way of looking at conditions. Now what is it that can observe the conditions? And then you might think it's another condition. You think well, you know, I'm observing my emotions, my emotions, my process. I'm going through my process. Uh, my, you know, my traumas, my feelings, my desires. The whole modern jargon of the present age is all about me and my feelings, my process, my life, my rights. Myself as as the ultimate kind of is the is the kind of what we you know to be able to be a successful whole personality, to be a happy, wholesome, normal, healthy person is the aim of modern society. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, not but but it is still it still supports the illusion, doesn't it, of self. It's based on the self and is limited to the self. And it tends towards ideal of what is a healthy, normal, happy personality. A normal person 
a personality, healthy personality. What is that? So we, you know, we we have we 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 operate from though maybe those kind of aspirations. But do we know what we're talking about? Can the personality? Can any does anyone have a permanently healthy personality? Doesn't your personality change according to the conditions? Mine does. I don't know about you. The personality is conditioned, so it it you know it can be happy, sad, elated, depressed, frightened, jealous, anxious, worried, tense, angry, indignant, upset, confused. And those those kind of quali- those are qualities of a conditioned experience. You know, there's nothing permanent in them. And we have these various emotional reactions to to the conditions of the present moment. So I mean we this is just the way it is in the conditioned realm that we're experiencing. So so this is why to to recognize that we are you know this opportunity we have of reflecting on a condition we're actually learning to recognize the unconditioned operating from the unconditioned and that is the ability to observe the condition it's as simple as that when I'm upset when I feel upset personally upset then I can observe that I know when I'm upset but when I'm angry, or when I'm happy, when I'm unhappy, when I'm feeling anxious or worried, when I'm feeling healthy and vigorous or weak and sickly, and that we all, this is so obvious, we all know I don't feel very well today. I don't, I feel, or sometimes if I feel wonderful today. People keep asking, how are you, Arjun Sumedho? Why don't they, how are you? Why do we, why are always asking how we are? I remember one man used to come to Chichurst, and of course it's a more rhetorical question. It's kind of agreeing, how are you? And he, and so I'd say, how are you? And he'd start telling me in detail. And I thought, I don't really want to know all that, because <laughs> he took it quite literally. When, when I meant it merely as a greeting, you know, how are you? you know, Good to see you kind of thing, but... He, he would take it quite literally. Say, "How are you?" And he'd say, "Well, I go on and all the details of his feelings of the moment, present problems." So the, then this this is this is thinking, attachment to thought, habits, habitual thinking, proliferating thoughts. One thought goes on to the next, but that which is aware of thought. So in the, you know, in a teach, teaching, getting people to use the mantra, puto, puto, you know, it's a, it's a thought, isn't it? It's non-personal, though. It's not, it's, we don't usually think, I'm Buddha, or, you know, unless you're a bit daft. But, I mean, it's a, it's a thought, you know, a deliberate, a mantra that we choose. But when we, when we think, when we inwardly, think the word buto. You know, you can examine that. There's a thinking process. I have to intentionally decide to think this word, buto, and then, but there's an awareness. 
that consciousness isn't isn't dependent on the word. There's an awareness of before I think the the first syllable, pu, to, and that there's there's awareness surrounding that that one word. Now this is so obvious and very simple, but it's we miss out on the most obvious on the, on the reality of Dhamma all the time <clears throat> because then we have we we get caught in re- repeating puto puto mechanically in the, because we're used to just thinking 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 you know, Ajahn Sumedho says use the word puto 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 and then it becomes a mechanical recitation with no space around it and you can get quite tranquil with that because it does stop you from, you know, kind of stop you from proliferating about yourself and problems and the world that you live in. So like mantras and Omani Padme Hung and all the rest can be used just to, to, at least if you're going to think and attach to thoughts, attach to some skillful thoughts at least. Or thoughts that don't create a strong sense of self. Like Omani Padme Hoga, I think it doesn't that doesn't create a s- strong sense of self unless I unless I identify the, you know thinking that I'm I I'm a good at this or not good at this or this is Tibetan mantra you shouldn't use it if you're Theravada and I can get into a whole realm of complexities of views and opinions about different forms of Buddhism and and make a real you know, mess of it in my mind. I'm not interested in that anymore, but in just discerning the difference, the thinking process arising, ceasing. And so examine this, this create yourself. I, I used to, I spent years creating myself intentionally just to observe my personality when I'm feeling happy, sad, angry, confused, envious, jealous, frightened, worried. But always with this intention of being this awareness, putting the the thought, the sense of self, the atta, the self-view, as an object, as a mental object. Ajahn Sumedho is a mental so this is, you know, this is discerning, discernment. The awareness, the thinking process operates, but you're, not, you're no longer operating from the habitual thinking, you're intentionally thinking. To examine, to investigate thinking, to see it arise and cease. And emotions, because thoughts trigger off emotions. Memories will trigger emotions. So somebody praises or somebody criticizes. Well, then they, they have an emotional reaction. They say, Ajahn Sumedho is a good monk. Ajahn Sumedho is a bad monk. The awareness isn't, it doesn't get carried away by praise or blame. It's observing it, you know, the emotional habit. My emotions can get, get, you know, started through praise, 
you know, being Ajahn Tomato's a good monk and he'll, you know, that's non-threatening. That makes me, as a person, feel confident, safe, appreciated by the society, by the world that I live in. Ajahn Tomato's a bad monk. Then that makes me feel personally angry or resentful. So the personality will emotionally get charged up with that, with these, with these dualistic concepts, good and bad. But the awareness of good and bad, of being happy or sad, elated or depressed, that awareness, can you, you discern the difference? Because you can't be aware of being aware. But you can be aware of conditioned phenomena. And so the Sakya Ditti is conditioned. It's, there's nothing permanent. Nothing you can sustain personally. That's personal. But what's, what is self-sustaining, sustaining self is, is through awareness. It's its consciousness. Conscious awareness, awakened consciousness. This is what Buddha means. Now in this uh, discerning ability, this is the panya, using panya, or wisdom. So it's a, sometimes we think of wisdom as uh, knowing about what sages have said. You know, uh, there's a kind of worldly wisdom, streetwise, they say, or how to operate in the British political system, or live on the street, or succeed in business. There's a certain kind of canniness, uh, cleverness, and ability that we associate with the word wisdom. But using this word, English word wisdom, to define panya is discerning. And this discerning is not developed in, uh, in anywhere, really, any society. The, most societies are lost in their ignorance, in their identi identities, with culture, with uh, class, with race, with sex, with principles, ideals. Now, like the word democracy, is, uh, is, uh, is this, is, this is the great great thing of human attainment is to bring democracy into the world. So, I mean, democracy is, we no longer, so, uh, socialism, communism, they're, you know, they've, they've gone out into the rubbish bin. It's democracy now. Everything should be democratic. Human rights and democracy. This is, these are the kind of in concepts of the age in our own society. So this, then we attach to that, that, you know, it's certainly good. Democracy is an ideal. But, you know, it is an ideal. And then attachment to the ideal creates this, this sense of anger, resentment, indignation when we we think things aren't democratic we want to force democracy on others 
kill people so that we can make their countries democratic and things like this. So it becomes absurd, an absurdity. We can force everybody to become like uh, Western democracy. We want all the Muslims to become like uh, Americans with all the values of America, American democracy, and how things should be, in which, are, you know, in America it's not, it's not all that, you know, it's not an ideal society. It has all kinds of problems. But when we talk about democracy, we, we're, not, we're not talking about what's wrong with America, we're talking about the ideal of, of American uh, politics. And so the ideals are beautiful. But attachment to ideals out of ignorance is what happens when we attach to ideals. And of course, we become critical. We become angry. So discerning then is, is not based on how it should be, but on the way it is. And this is like the Buddha's teaching, I teach only two things, suffering and the end of suffering. It's very simple, isn't it? Suffering and the end of suffering. There's nothing kind of remote or arcane or abstruse or terribly refined or abstract. Suffering is banal. It's ordinary. It's vulgar. And then uh, and the end of suffering. Well, the end of suffering is discerning discerning the result of ignorance, desire, and attachment. So in this, this is, uh, these are like in um, Four Noble Truths in uh, Dependent Origination. These are teachings or, or uh, skillful means to explore this ignorance, avita, when we're, when we're not discerning, when we're not awake, we're merely operating from the conditioning, from the sankharas, then, then desires arise and cease. But we're not aware of them, we attach to them. And one of the, the problems we have in monastic life, in religious, any religion really, is uh, trying to get rid of bad thoughts, resistance trying to get rid of lust or if you're celibate, trying to, to get rid of sexual desire or try to control it, try to, to get rid of anger and jealousy and fear because we can become, you know, with all good intentions, wanting to become better people by, be, by joining the Sangha and because we see you know, how much, how frightened or anxious we are or how angry, how insecure, unhappy we can be as personalities. So we, you know, we think maybe becoming a Buddhist Samana will be the solution to the problem. I can become better. And so there's so much resistance too, trying to make yourself into uh, you know, a really good person, a really good samana. And then we can intimidate each other. You know, a, a Buddhist samana shouldn't, uh, should be content with, with the four requisites. 
a Buddhist samana should have compassion. We can have Buddhists uh, should be vegetarian. We should be um, full of loving kindness. And we shouldn't be jealous or envious, mean or nasty or selfish. And so these are true but not right, right but not true situations. Notice the should, how things should be. But then in terms of the realities of our human karma, individual karma, we, we feel like this. Feeling selfish is like this. When I get in, you know, in my, when the conditions for selfishness arise, what about me? I want and I think and I don't want to, I don't agree, why do I, why me, it's not fair, blah, 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 like that. Then if, I, if, I'm, if I'm coming from the idea, I shouldn't be like this. I shouldn't resent things or just think of myself. I should think of the welfare of the community, of the Sangha, of Buddhism, of humanity. I shouldn't just think of my own desires and, and just live this life just to perpetuate my own interests. And so then we feel guilty because maybe we do feel selfish and and uh, childish and and uh, and that and then we don't like that so we we criticize ourselves i shouldn't a good good monk wouldn't feel like this and so i start resisting it trying to get rid of my selfishness my immature emotional habits trying to be majestic and grand magnanimous because that's my ideal as a person my ideal as a person is being magnanimous, generous, unselfish, compassionate, sensitive. But in the nitty-gritty of daily life, I don't always have feel like that. That's the ideal, but then the realities of a situation can bring up resentment over little things, jealousies, petty feelings, um, Harsh judgments. It's shocking some of the judgments I can make. It shocks me. There's a part of, you know, a certain conditioning that, that I notice that is quite heartless and arrogant. And then I don't like that, you know, so then I feel guilty about it. But discerning, Discerning is like this. It's, it's a w observing conditioned phenomena arising and ceasing. Now, uh, I think we're all interested in the problem of guilt because we're from a society that, that, that creates this. This, I think, is quite common in uh, European Western societies. And it's it's because of the idealism. Now, this is this is my own observations. It's uh, you know we all know how things should be, and then we feel guilty about the way things are. You know that I shouldn't be selfish. And then when I feel selfish, then I feel guilty about it. So one way of intimidating you is saying you're you're being selfish. And then you're saying, you're just thinking of yourself. You're not thinking of the welfare of the Sangha. 
And what does that do to you, you know? It's a good way of intimidating people, isn't it? Or, you know, parents do that to their children, or we do it to each other. If you, you know, if you were unselfish, you, you, would, you would be more considerate of my feelings. But you just go your own way, do what you want, irregardless of how it affects me. You're just so selfish. And then we feel, uh, you know, we can start feeling guilty about that. So observing this, this, uh, this puto tamo relationship, this sense of selfishness or the ideal of unselfishness is, is beautiful. But in terms of here and now, the feeling is like this. Feeling selfish, immature, obsessed with my own views and opinions is like this. Feeling guilty about it is like this. So in this, this, this uh, unconditioned awareness, this is, this is consciousness with awareness, unconditioned. This is the unconditioned. Atibhikave ajatang aputang akatang asankatang. There is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. This is it. This is this is real. The awareness of the condition. So, I want to have my own way is a condition, because that's not that's not the. The, I can't sustain that. When I try to sustain being totally selfish, I can't do it. Trying to just sustain selfishness and immature emotional reactions. Try to intentionally try to sustain them and see how successful you are at sustaining them. But because we, we usually resist them, you know, we, and we, we, through being intimidated or guilt-ridden about how we're feeling, we get very confused about life, about ourselves, about, you know, everything. We become confused and, and despairing and depressed because we, you know, we can't control things and make things the way we would like them to be or should, think they should be. But we can observe, and so this this uh, refuge in awareness, aligned, you know, awareness, consciousness, wisdom of the conditions, of thoughts, of memories, of emotions, of the body, of the senses, of sight, hearing smell, taste, touch. Awareness of the sense world is not in any way judging it, but it, it, you have to embrace it. You have to allow the, the world of the senses, the conditioned realm, to be what it is, rather than trying to get rid of it, change it, destroy it, attach to it, believe in it. So what is it that is aware and it's not personal, it's not sakyaditi. If I, if I say I'm very aware and I'm, you know, put it in terms of 
my, I'm more aware than you are, that kind of thing. It becomes Sakyaditi again. But awareness is like this, isn't it? It's, it's not, it's, I can't claim it. The idea of it being mine and something I'm developed and I can do is not, you know, that whole, that whole need to identify and claim it is gone. It doesn't belong to, it's not a condition. You don't create, I don't create consciousness out of ignorance. Consciousness is not personal. It's operative. But you create the sense of your separateness and personality out of ignorance through consciousness. So consciousness is, is, is operating, but you're not, you know, you're, you're no longer aware from that position of a consciousness. You're operating through a habit patterns, conditioning process. We become conditioned and programmed like computers and that. We're creatures of habit. So we are easily manipulated and we can be happy or sad or lonely or whatever according to other conditions. Now just notice on this retreat, you know, just explore the, uh, you know, don't try to stop thinking and resist your emotional life and try to just get tranquil on this retreat. You know, I just want to get my samadhi and get peaceful and, uh, and operate from that. You know, I don't encourage that. You know, investigate. Look into the nature of conditioning. Not from thinking about conditioning, but recognizing it. Whether it's subtle, whether it's just a kind of slight movement uh, of the, in, the, in the mind, or it's uh, gross or subtle or whatever, physical or mental or emotional or psychic. We get, we're fascinated with the psychic phenomena. You know, with devadas and, and higher beings and and forces in the universe. And we can, you know, there's possibilities, endless possibilities of, of a- angelic beings or guardian angels or devadas or Brahma gods or pretas or devils. Evil forces. But these are also conditions, you know, so these are thoughts, conditions. Not not saying they, you know, denying them. But conditioned phenomena is like this. You know, uh, Devadas and Brahma gods are still conditions. And higher realms are still conditions. It's higher and lower. Heaven and hell. Where Nibbana is, is not about high or lower. It's oneness. It's ekagata. It's whole. It's the wholeness that we recognize through awareness. Complete. And so it's the end of end of suffering. I teach only two things: suffering and the end of suffering.
notice also, you know, your own intentions for this. Be, be conscious of, you know, what you expect or want or from from a, just this idea of a retreat. And, uh, you know, not to, not judge it, but observe, you know, how the self is created around this this sense of being on retreat and wanting to get something or, or you, there's all kinds of shoulds maybe of how, sh- how you should practice. We use words intensive or you know really practice hard you know really put a lot of effort into it and don't waste time and uh, all these are, these are good advice but these are these are the very kind of conditions we believe in and attach to that create the sense of self. So the the form of the retreat is you know the morning evening puja. Determined to uh, this is our agreement during this week. The, the, these are what we we um, we attend these. So this is the convention of, uh, say, the form as a community, communal form, morning, evening puja, meal in the afternoon, the mornings are uh, not, we don't meet again in the morning till the meal, and then afternoon we meet again. And so this is, uh, this is, and then the evening puja. So this is this is uh, the communal form. So make that very clear. This is, you know, maybe you know whether you like it or don't like it, or observe that. Whether you agree with it or don't, or think it should be more strict or less, or I don't care what you feel about it. Just observe it. Be the knower. So that the convention we're using, I'm not trying to defend it and intimidate you into obeying it. Because this is, a, this is your own personal, uh, you know, opportunity to, to use it. But what I recommend is to, uh, uh, you know, reflect that this, this is a particular style in this, in this tradition, in this, uh, community using this this uh, situation like this so it's very conscious you know the the form itself is accepted consciously or acknowledged at least whether you accept it or don't accept something else be the observer of that so it's uh, you know, some people. Well, I I practice better alone in my room than in the community, and and so we have these various. Observe that, you know. Just observe what you prefer or don't want. What you believe is what I need. This I don't like to do. That is like this. And so it's not an intimidation of you kind of, you know. I'm not going to be on your back and push you into to obeying, but this is a how to to use a form for reflection. Communal life can be very intimidating. 
isn't it? We look around to see who's here and who isn't. Things like this. And so we, you know, and we, we have various views, form various views and opinions. So living, living together with people is always, there's always a level of intimidation involved because we are concerned about what other, what other people think of us. And so, um, so observe that, you know, that living in a community is like this and then conforming to the community or not conforming. Now living alone, you can, you know, you don't have to worry about that because, uh, you know, you can, there's nobody going to judge you. And uh, so it's in some ways, you know, I personally prefer that. <laughs> I like living alone, right? It doesn't bring up these, this sense of, of um, what others think. Concern about what others think and what I think about others. But so instead of trying to just get, you know, thinking I'm not, I don't want to live in a community like this, uh, because it just creates too many, it confuses me and I'm too intimidated by the form and, and the seniority, the hierarchy and this and that. Be aware of this. This is, this is sakyaditi. These are about feelings, personal feelings, emotions. And so more and more you're, you're trusting in your awareness of the feeling rather than Believing the feeling. So if you pursue this, after all, it doesn't make much difference whether you're in, you know, alone or in community, because you're you'll find your strength in the awareness rather than in trying to uh, compel the community to to conform and be what you think it should be, or feel resentful when it isn't. Or think that you can't practice in community because it's too stressful for you. But it's, it's uh, you know, feel stress is like this. Worrying about, concern about what others think is like this. Wanting the community to be in perfect harmony is like this. Feeling frustrated when there's disharmony is like this. When there's a lot of complaining and resentment and conflict in a community is like this. And so there's suffering, if I attach to that, not wanting conflict, not wanting disharmony. Attaching to not wanting disharmony is, I suffer from that. I create suffering. There's suffering. The end of suffering is letting go of that desire, wanting harmony when there isn't any. So that I'm not dependent on everything being harmonious. Because life isn't like that. You know, two people get together, there's, there's going to be moments of harmony and moments of disharmony. This is the way things are. But the refuge is not in harmony, but in awareness. Then, the, So this is, in say, like transcending the emotional condition. Not getting rid of it, not judging it, but recognizing it. I feel upset and angry with the community is like this. Or disappointed. I feel somebody, you know, 
wants to disrobe and I feel disappointed in them is like this. And then wanting to blame somebody. If somebody wants to disrobe because, it, whose fault is it? And then we, you know, we go into blaming and trying to figure out how we could have made it right so that that person would have not wanted to leave. How, wh where we fallen, failed as a community to support them in the way they needed it at the time. Uh, that we're, we need to develop more sensitivity and more understanding of each other personally in order to create harmony where people will feel fulfilled in the monastic life. And these are, these are ideas, good ideas, but there's, there's no way that, that we can ever succeed at that. We can, you know, we can, through awareness, we will, the, the sensitivity will evolve. When, we, when we're pointing to Dhamma, then when our refuge is in Dhamma, then we, then, you know, whether people recognize it or not, that's up to them. That's not something you can, you know, that me being sensitive to all your needs is going to make you more aware of the Dhamma. It's uh, pointing at the Dhamma, reminding you. It's not developing an empathetic relationship with me, but in, in, uh, as a person, but in discerning what is the refuge, what is the conditioned realm, being the knower of the conditions rather than the conditions themselves. 